had to stuff some of these in my pocket. And I don't know about you, I love summertime. It is pollen season, though, more than just, I, I think I figured out why the U of O's colors are green and gold. Pine trees and pollen. And I, I realize, I have to apologize, I didn't realize this at the time last week. Apparently, I, my allergies were just out of control. I knew that. I was blowing my nose quite a bit before the service. Apparently, I didn't mute my microphone. So you all got to share in the moment there as I was so struggling with allergies last week. I apologize for that. I made sure I muted it this week so that didn't happen again. Well, good morning, Harvest family. Good morning. My, my name is Barry Cole, and we have met, I've met many of you. Jeannie and I, my wife Jeannie and I, have met many of you, if not all of you. Um, and while Pastor Brian and his family are taking a much-needed, well-deserved a few weeks of vacation, I have the privilege of bringing the message again this morning. And it dawned on Jeannie and I as we were talking, as I mentioned last week, that we our, our next adventure that the Lord has for us is taking us to Corvallis here very soon. Um, and I realized we were preparing for this week that this is the last Sunday I'll get to preach at Harvest. Uh, we will leave well, one more Sunday here. We'll be here next Sunday for the worship in the park. And by the way, I hope you're planning to come to that, not just because it's our last Sunday, although we would love to see you there, but I hope you're planning to come to that. And one, one opportunity for us to get out there and be outside in this gorgeous pollen-infested weather um, and just spend some time together there in, in the middle of all of God's beauty. There's going to be some baptisms in the river. We're going to have some food and fellowship together. Listen, that's all the stuff you like, right? So come to that one service, right? Next week, one service, 1045, Worship in the Park. I hope you'll be there. That will be our last Sunday here at Harvest. We're going to move up to start up in Corvallis on the 15th of August. But this morning, I have the privilege one more time of bringing the word this morning. Last week, you recall, if you were here, you joined us online last week. You remember we started Psalm 23. And we spent some time there in the first three verses. We're going to finish Psalm 23 today. So if you've got a Bible with you or a Bible app on your device, and I hope you have one of those. If you don't, there are some extra Bibles in the back there. So if you don't have one or you forgot it, left it at home, whatever, feel free to jump up and run back and grab one. But turn back with me to the 23rd Psalm. Brian's been doing this series on soul care, soul care 2.0. And these last several weeks, he's been talking about the need for, for us to care for our souls and how God cares for our souls. And last Sunday, as we were looking at the first part of Psalm 23, we were thinking about how God leads us as, as our good shepherd, how he leads us and how he feeds us and, and that work, his work in our lives, how that gives us this, this constant source, this steady source of soul rest and soul care. You are familiar with Psalm 23. Most of us have read it and probably can quote the entire thing. And you realize there when, when David hits verse 4, did you notice his perspective changes? The first three verses, he talks about what the good shepherd does. He leads us. He causes us to lie down. He guides us. He restores us. You see that pronoun in the first three verses. He does this. He does that. And then you see a very, a very dramatic shift, a noticeable shift as he moves to verses 4 through 6. He's no longer focusing just specifically on what the good shepherd does, but how that impacts us 
The perspective has changed. Now he's not talking about he does this. He's talking about I and me, verses 4 through 6. It's all about how what God is doing, what the good shepherd is doing in our lives and how that impacts us directly. And I think we saw last week, God is not an out there, distant God. He's not just off in the distance. He didn't just wind up the universe and let it do its thing and take his hands completely off. He's a here, right with us kind of God. And David is talking here about those times that our souls are most vulnerable. When we are most in need of soul care, most in need of reassurance by the good shepherd that he's here that he hasn't left. He's not like a hired hand, that when life gets hard or the predators come up or the challenges happen, Jesus talked about that in John 10, how the hired hand runs off. God's not like that. And there are times in our lives when our souls are most vulnerable, most in need of soul care in those dark valley moments. You know what I'm talking about? Follow along with me as I read Psalm 23, verses four through six is what I want us to focus on this morning. And David says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil. Why? For you are with me. Your rod, your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. And surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Father, thank you for that incredible promise that when we walk through those deep, dark valley moments, when those times come in our lives, Lord, that you are here. You're with us. You're guiding us. You're walking with us. You've not abandoned us. Thank you for that. Thank you for the rich promises that, that you led David to pack into these last couple of verses. And, Father, we get to be encouraged by those this morning. And so, Father, as your spirit speaks, as you continue to inhabit our praise in these next few moments, Lord, would you help us to respond to you? Give us ears to hear and hearts to understand. Help us to be responsive to you today. Would you just bless these next few moments? We're in your word. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, and here's the big idea. Brian calls, you know, calls it the one thing, the main thought. The big idea is what I call it, the main thought of the passage. And here's what I think it is in verses 4 through 6 of Psalm 23. Dark valley moments are part of life. Amen? They are an absolute part of life. But God is with us in them. And he's using them for his purposes so that we can live victoriously in him. Now, David starts this section off with this idea, sort of sets the stage, if you will, of even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, these deep, dark valley moments. And so I want us to think this morning, we're thinking about val from valleys to victory. And so I want us to think this morning, these next couple of minutes, about just a couple of things about valleys. That's the setting that David has set for us there in verse 4. And I want us to think about just a few thoughts about valleys and how God is with us in them, how he is using them for his purposes and how he enables us through them to live victoriously for him. And the first thing is this, I think, that God 
uses valleys for his purposes. I mean, did you notice how David starts that? Even though I walk through the valley. Did you notice he didn't say even if? Even when, right? There, there is a reality that in life, it's not a question of if I will ever walk through some valley moments. It's the question of when will I walk through valley moments. And David just acknowledges, lays it out up front, that valley moments are a part of life. And I think sometimes we, we, we get this idea in our heads that somehow it's more spiritual to put on the fake smile, right? To come to church and, and just pretend that everything is okay and we ask each other, how are you doing? How, how are things in your life? And we have this idea somehow that it's not spiritual to acknowledge this. You know, I'm really in a tough time right now. I'm really struggling with some issues in my life. I'm really wrestling with some sin concerns. We have this idea that that's somehow unspiritual. And the only Christian way to be is to come here and fake it till you make it spiritually. Put on that fake smile on Sunday mornings. But David just acknowledges them. He just lays them out there. These things happen, and I'm going to go through them. And when I do, I can lean into you. And I think one of the takeaways for us there is David acknowledges them, and, and God looks at David, and he calls him a man after my own heart. David just lays these things out, and I think one of the takeaways is it's okay for you and I to acknowledge that, to say that I might be going through a dark valley. It's one of the things I appreciate most about the Psalms is they, they're just, they're honest. They're transparent. They just deal with every aspect of human emotion that you and I go through, and they deal with it honestly. They just lay it out there. Here it is. And David, he's just open and transparent before God. I, I think I shared this before. I'm not sure if I shared this here or not. When I was a younger believer, the Psalms were my least favorite book of the Bible. And you must say, how could, how could you possibly not, how does anybody not like the Psalms? I was saved in my 20s, so I was a young man full of bravado in the Psalms. What I liked about David, I liked warrior king David. I liked killed a bear David. I liked killed a giant David. That was the David I wanted. I didn't want, a, I didn't want even though I walked through the valley of the shadow of death, David. I didn't want a David that admitted he had challenges and problems and admitted he, wa he wasn't all that all the time. But I came to appreciate, the Lord really convicted my heart, I came to appreciate that what we see in the Psalms is David just being open and transparent before God. It's one of the reasons I believe God called him a man after my own heart. Genuine relationships, they demand that kind of transparency. It catches me off guard sometimes when I read how David prays, how David interacts with God, just the, the sheer honesty about the things David says. In Psalm 34, David just, he just says, you know, God, how long are you going to let this go on? How long will the wicked prosper? Psalm 22, we talked a little bit about that last week. Words Jesus quoted from the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And I'm caught off guard sometimes by that. How David prays before God, that kind of openness and honesty, and frankly, I'm convicted by it. 
Do I trust God with the deepest, darkest moments of my life, and do I trust him enough to pray that honestly before him? It's one of the things that's beautiful about the Psalms is David is just open and transparent, and he acknowledges these valley moments, and you and I can too. And I, and I think one of the things about valleys, how God uses them for his purpose, one of the reasons he allows them is that valleys take away distractions. Have you been in those moments? Those challenging moments, those burdens that you can hardly bear up kind of moments? That focuses you, right? I mean, that gets you pinpoint laser focused on what's really important, on where you are with the Lord. What does your walk look like with Him? And valleys do that. They take away distractions. I mentioned last time that David probably wrote this around the time his son Absalom was trying to kill him to take over the throne. A deep, dark valley moment. When he talks about this, this is not a theoretical thing. He's in the middle of that at that moment. And I think that enabled him to get out of what we might call today the tyranny of the urgent. You know, life is picking up the pace of it, and there's always something demanding our attention, things that are urgent. Got to deal with this right now. Got to take care of this right now today. Very often in our spiritual lives, we have to take a little inventory. What is urgent in my life that I have allowed to crowd out what is truly important in my life? And valley moments do that. If you've ever walked through a deep valley, I'm not talking about the Willamette Valley. That's way too wide to get this perspective. If you walk through a deep valley where the walls are high, you can't see the distractions around, right? All you can see is what's right here. They take away our distractions. Help us to focus on what's truly important. Help us to, to quiet down for just a minute so we can hear God's still small voice speaking. There's this account in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has just come off this amazing moment where he just utterly humiliates the prophets of Baal. You remember that story. It's a little bit funny, and I encourage you to go back and read it. Elijah's taunting them a little bit. Maybe your God's asleep. Maybe you ought to make a little noise and wake him up. It's, it's kind of an amusing little story. And Elijah comes off this incredible moment but immediately he's plunged into the dark valley. Ahab and, and Jezebel are trying to kill him. In 1 Kings 19, in the middle of that moment, God's presence passes by, and Elijah's looking for him in all of the, the big moment things. The earthquake and the wind and the fire, that's where he's looking for God. That's where we look for God, right in the big muscle movement moments. And it's not until Elijah can just stop, just focus, get away from all of those distractions that he finally hears the still small voice there in 1 Kings 19, 11, and 12. See, valleys do that. They take away distractions. You know, another thing valleys do is they make us look up, don't they? They make us look up. When you're walking through one of those valleys, one of those deep, close valleys, and, and you look in front of you, what's the only thing you can see? 
valley, right? You turn around and look behind you, and what do you see behind you? Valley. And you look to the left and right, and what's there? You've got it now. Valley. That's all you can see. Everywhere you look, that's all there is. It's the one direction in the valley you can always look and see out of it. Straight up. If you look up in the midst of that valley, you will always see out of it. Valleys do that. They make us look up. Can you imagine what, what is going through David's heart, what is going through his mind in these moments? And these times of intense challenge that we go through in life, they can also be times of intense clarity for us. David was able to look up and just rely on the simple fact that you are with me, Lord, and that's enough. That and that alone, that's why I fear no evil. That's why I don't fear what's going to happen, where this valley's going to go, what's going to go, come next. That's why I don't fear that. Why? Because you're here, Lord, and I know I can walk through this with you. Psalm 121, the psalmist said this, Where does my help come from? Have you ever asked that question? You're in a moment in life, and you're feeling weak, and you're feeling vulnerable, and you're not quite certain what the next step looks like, and you're not quite certain if you could even make it if you knew. And you say, where does my help come from? The psalmist asked that question, where does my help come from? I lift my eyes. I look to the hills. My help comes from the Lord. And valleys do that for us, right? They put us in that moment where we can't do anything else but to look up. Because God uses those valley moments sometimes for the, the opportunities for the most profound growth in our lives. Third thing about valleys, though, I want us to think about as we think about how God uses them for His purpose all valleys come to an end. Even the Grand Canyon, as big as that is, eventually comes to an end. Now, it doesn't feel that way, right? When you're in the valley and you're looking forward and all you see is more valley, it doesn't seem like this is ever going to come to an end. But do you notice what David said? Even though I walk through the valley, he didn't say, I'm pitching my tent here. I'm camping out here in the valley. I'm just going to stay right here where it's dark and scary. He didn't say that. He said, I'm walking through the valley. You don't always get that perspective when you're in the valley. When you're moving in the dark and when it's, when it's difficult and all you can see is the scenery never changes, right? You don't always get that perspective. But that's the reality, that all valleys eventually come to an end. And you and I don't have to be paralyzed by fear. David wasn't paralyzed by fear in the middle of the valley. And you and I don't have to be either. I mean, fear can do that. It gets us where we don't know what to do and we're just afraid to do anything. We don't have to be paralyzed. God said in Deuteronomy chapter 31, be strong and courageous. I'm, am I'm amazed when you start looking through Scripture how many times that phrase shows up. 
Be strong. Be courageous. Trust in me. Be strong and courageous. Don't fear them or be in dread of them. For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you. He will not forsake you. That was David's reality. I'm going to walk through this whether I realize I'm moving or not. I am. Whether I realize it right now or not, the valley will eventually come to an end. And what enables me to keep going is the fact that God has got my hand and he's leading me through this. We realize that God uses valley moments. Sometimes he brings them, sometimes he allows them, but his hand is always in them. He's using them for his purposes. He's using them as times of growth in our lives. Second thing I want us to think about valleys this morning. We pass through valleys, but we live in victory. I mentioned David did pitch his tent in the valley. He didn't say, I found an RV park here in the valley. I think I'm just going to hang out for a little while. He said, I'm passing through it, and we pass through the valleys. Where do we live, though? We live in victory. Now, if you notice verse 5, I think, and I know not every Bible student, not every Bible, Bible scholar, I'm not a Bible scholar by any stretch of that term, but I know not every Bible student is on the same page with me on this, but I think that David, his analogy changes in verse 5. Listen to what he said. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You've anointed my head with oil and my cup overflows. Now, I mentioned I'm a city boy, right? Born and raised. I don't know a lot about sheep, but the idea of a table and a cup seem to be odd references for a sheep. I've not met a sheep yet that had any kind of table manners to speak of, that I've seen use any kind of flatware. It seems like an odd reference to refer to sheep. The other thing, though, is that no shepherd would purposely take his sheep to graze somewhere where he knew enemies were watching. And so I think, it's a, I think he's changed perspective here. I don't think in verse 5 he's talking anymore about sheep and shepherd. You know what I think he's talking about? A victory banquet. Now, David was a military man and a very successful one at that. He would have been to a lot of these victory banquets. And so I think it, I see in his mind as he's talking about this banquet table spread out before him and his cup overflowing, and his head anointing with oil, I think in his mind he's picturing this military victory banquet. The idea in the New Testament, it's a major idea, is the victory that we have in Jesus, who we are in Christ. And I love that song we just sang a minute ago, I'm not who I was. We, the, who we are in Christ, that phrase is a, is a major theme throughout the New Testament. That we're changed, we're new, we're reborn, we're redeemed, we're no longer slaves, we're sons and daughters, we're set free, we're victorious. This is who we are in Christ. How do we live like that? That's the reality. How do we live in that reality? A couple of thoughts 
We think about the fact that we pass through valleys, but we, we are able to live in victory, but very often we don't. Just a couple of thoughts about how we do that. I think first we need to change our perspective from one of defeat to one of victory. Do you remember the Winnie the Pooh cartoons? You remember Eeyore? Everybody loves Eeyore. The cute little donkey with his tail nailed on. Everybody loves, he can't help but to like Eeyore. But Eeyore, you know, goes through his life with this constant outlook of defeat. Woe is me. Everything's bad. It's never going to get better, not that it matters anyway. I mean, that's Eeyore, right? He goes through his life like that, but i got to be honest. I think as Christians, sometimes we go through life with the same mindset of perpetual defeat. I failed last time, and I'm probably going to fail again. I wasn't successful in, 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 in pushing off temptation last time, and I probably won't be this time either. Things are bad in my walk with the Lord, and I don't think they'll ever get better. I think we go through our lives sometimes as believers in a constant Eeyore state of mind. But David, he sees this effect of God's care. And he said, you, Lord, have spread out a banquet table before me. That, my, that your cup, it's overflowing with God's goodness. You're anointing my head with oil as though the victory is mine. That's the perspective David has. He doesn't live in a defeat mindset. He lives in a mindset of the victory that he has in his relationship with the Lord. Paul said this, 1 Corinthians 15. He said, thanks be to God who gives us what? The victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Listen, that's the reality that you and I have victory in Christ. And we can live like that as a present tense. Now, not, not that life is one big party. Not that there aren't the deep, dark valley moments. David acknowledges they happen. Not that we're always going to get it right. But that we can live in who we are in Christ victorious. We're going to lose some battles, right? But the war is already won. Do you have that perspective I think we approach these challenges to how do we live in this victory banquet that David is describing? How do we have that same mindset in the midst of such a deep, dark challenge? How can he think about victory? That's how he can think about victory. He's got a mindset that said, on my own, I'm a failure in Christ, in, in the Lord. As I walk with him, I am victorious. Second thing, though, how do we live in that reality? is to live like who you are in Christ, not who you were in sin. I'm going to say it again because it's simple, but it's profound. Live like who you are in Christ, not who you were in sin. Now, I realize that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. 
And I'm right there with you in the struggle of often not doing exactly what I'm up here preaching. That's, that's a whole lot easier to say than it is to do. Because the enemy is always there trying to convince us, right? You're a failure. God is perpetually disappointed in you. I want to ask for a show of hands of how many times you have fallen for that argument. How many of us have fallen for that argument? That this picture we have of God in our mind is him up there with his arms folded and a scowl on his face looking at us like the way he sees us is as a perpetual disappointment. The enemy tries to convince us that God will never see us as anything other than hopelessly sinful. Now, there's a reality. That's who you were in sin. Before, you, before we come to Christ, when God looks at us, he sees the distance between us. He sees the sin that has tainted us, that has separated us from him. That's who you were in sin. But if you're here this morning, you're joining us online, and you have a relationship with Christ, is that really who you are now? Is that really how God sees you now? Ephesians chapter 5, verses 25 to 27. This might seem on the surface like an odd verse at this point. In fact, Sue and I talked about this when I sent her the outline. She called me and said, is that really the verse you want to put there? Because we, we read the first part, husbands, love your wives just, also, just as Christ also loved the church. And we say, that, and that's, that's exactly right. Husbands, that's what we ought to be doing. That kind of sacrificial, self-giving love, that's the goal. That's where we all need to be. We're not there. None of us are. And so, well, that's like Father's Day stuff right there. And listen, guys, you might think, we got picked on Father's Day. Let's not go back there again. Or that's marriage retreat stuff. We talk about that stuff then. But look at the rest of the verse. Paul says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church. He gave himself up for her so that, and then he's talking about how he views his bride. The rest of that passage. In fact, in verse 31 or 32, I think it is, he says, I'm talking about Christ and the church here. I'm talking about the relationship, how Christ views his bride. Listen to how Paul finishes this. So that he might sanctify her, his bride, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, that he might present to himself his bride in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she would be holy and blameless. Listen, have you ever read that verse and thought to yourself, that's the reality of who I am in Christ? Because that's exactly what he's saying. When Christ looks at us believers, he doesn't see this miserable pile of a sinner. This is what he sees. His bride, sanctified, clean, glorified, holy, blameless, beautiful. Listen, we, that's the reality that we can live in, not who we were in sin, but who we are in Christ. Now let that transform you. Let that encourage you. You're in those moments. 
when the enemy tells you that you are a disappointment to God, be encouraged that when God looks at you, what he sees is the beauty and the victory of his son and nothing else. Think about these valley moments that we're going to go through. God uses them for his purposes. We pass through the valleys, but we live in victory. The last thing I want us to think about, valleys aren't forever, but his presence is. Verse 6. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. There's a beautiful thing that David lays out throughout this psalm, and I don't want you to miss this. He said, he goes ahead of us. Verse 2, he said, he leads me. God leads from the front. I mentioned last week that when you're, when you're moving sheep along, you can't drive the herd from the back. You've got to lead them from the front. He goes ahead of us. He leads me. He walks with us. You are with me. Verse 4. He fills in behind us, verse 6. Your goodness and mercy will follow me. And that word follow there in verse 6, it's not like tagging along behind. It means to pursue. Once in a while we sing this song, your goodness is running after me. That's the thought, that his goodness and mercy is chasing us, pursuing us. It's not just tagging along behind us. And because his goodness surrounds us, because it, it pursues us, he's filling in those weak spots where we are most vulnerable to fear and doubt. You've seen no doubt when the president goes anywhere. You know, the Secret Service is always around him, right? They sort of form this little circle around him. They're ever vigilant, looking out for weak spots. What are places where the enemy could get in? What are places where this little circle we have around the president is vulnerable? And we've all seen that happen. And that's what he's talking about here. That God is ever vigilant because he goes before us, because he walks beside us, because he's pursuing us behind us. That he is ever vigilant to fill in those weak spots. He's noticing them before we even know they're there. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9. Paul says there in 2 Corinthians 12 that Paul pleaded with God that he would take away what Paul calls a thorn in his flesh. We have no idea what it really was. A medical issue is what most people assume. We don't know what it was for certain. Paul came to God and pleaded with him. And he said, I, I, I begged God three times that he might take this away. I don't think that was just three prayers that Paul shot up. I think these were three seasons of prayer that Paul came before the Lord and implored him, God, will you take this away? Verse 9, 2 Corinthians 12, And he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is perfected in weakness. And Paul said, well, then most gladly I'll boast about my weakness so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. And we think about the fact that we are walking through these valleys, that God is surrounding us. 
He's filling in those weak spots, those vulnerable spots. He's noticing them. And then and that last phrase there, that's an important reminder for us. David said, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's how he wraps this up. That's sort of his concluding thought, right? As he's writing this beautiful poem, his concluding thought is, I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Now, David had it all at his disposal, and he could have had anything else he wanted. He wanted a little more land, a little more prestige. He could have dispatched his army and gotten a little more land, got a little more wealth. Got, David had it all at his disposal. And what was he most concerned about? that I will be in God's presence. See, very often our prayers are about what can God do for me? How can God, how can God serve me today? That's often what our prayer life looks like. But for David and for us, the greatest fulfillment in life comes not from what God can do, but simply being in his presence. That's what David wanted. That's what David desired. Psalm 27, 4, One thing I have asked of the Lord, one thing I will seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. You may have heard it said, Before you seek his hand, seek his face. Am I, am I finding fulfillment in, simply in God's presence? That's where David found it. And valleys aren't forever, but his presence is. They don't last. But as believers, we have the privilege of being in his presence both now and for all of eternity. God has inspired David to give us this beautiful poem that I think really challenges, really helps us to see how God is active in our soul care, how God is active in our lives to provide a steady source of soul care for us, to provide a steady source of soul rest. And especially in those moments when we are most vulnerable, most in need, to realize he's right there with us. He's using those valleys for his purposes. That we're going to pass through the valley. He's going to have our hand and walk with us. And we can live victoriously in Christ. And that the valleys aren't forever, but his presence is enduring. We like to end our service here, end our time here at Harvest with two prayers, and I'm going to pray them here in just a moment. And maybe as you have sat there and, and looked at the words of David, maybe you're in a valley right now and God is revealing to you in the midst of that, he's using that for his purpose and what he's revealing to you is your need to trust in Christ. Just how deep the valley is between you and him, what sin has done and how sin has separated you from him. Maybe that's what he's revealing to you right now. You know that's your greatest need. That's the purpose he's using that for in your life right now. And if that's you here in this room or you joining us online this morning, you just pray this prayer along with me. If that's, you know you need to trust in Christ today. Would you pray this prayer with me? 
And Father, thank you for your grace. I don't deserve you. I don't deserve your love. I don't deserve your forgiveness. But in your love and in your grace, you sent Jesus to die for me. And Lord, I come before you this morning broken and as a sinner. And I realize, Lord, that my sin has separated me from you. And without your forgiveness, I will spend eternity separated from you. And so, Lord, would you forgive me? I trust that what Jesus did on the cross is enough for me. Would you forgive my sins and save me right now? Make me your son. Make me your daughter. Give me the eternal life that only you can offer. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, if that's you this morning, if you prayed that this morning, would you tell somebody about it? You can either shoot an email to Pastor Brian, brian at harvestchurcheugene.com. Write that on your little connection card. Use the online connection card and let one of us know. Nudge the person sitting next to you and say, hey, I prayed that prayer for the very first time this morning. I trusted in Christ. If, if you made that decision today, we want to rejoice with you. We want to get you started in your walk with the Lord. That's the first prayer we pray. The second prayer we pray is a prayer of application. Maybe as you're going through a dark, challenging moment in life, or maybe you're just coming out of one and you look back at that valley and you realize that you were not leaning into God in those moments. You did give in to fear. You, you are not living victoriously. You're falling for Satan's lies that God is always disappointed in you. And you need to turn that around and experience just him working and living through you. If that's you this morning, you need to just lay that before the Lord. Would you pray this prayer with me? Lord, you are so good. Because when I'm faithless, you are faithful. Father, you walk with me in the good times and in the bad but I have not been looking for that. I've not been expecting you to be there. In fact, I've been asking the questions very often, God, where are you? And Father, I want to lay that down. I've been living in defeat, not living in victory. And I repent of that. I want to lay that at your feet. Forgive me, Lord. Help me to trust your word, to trust you. You will not leave. You will not forsake. You will always be with us. And help me to live victoriously in the victory that you have purchased for me, not a life of defeat. And Father, thank you. Thank you for your promise. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love for me. And thank you for challenging my heart this morning with this song. May not just be a hearer of your word, but a doer of it pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we're glad you're with us this morning, and I want to close our time in a word of prayer just to dismiss us here in just a few moments. But listen, if you made a decision this morning, or you need to make a decision this morning, or you want someone to talk with you, or pray with you, or encourage you, I'll be available. Several leaders in the church will be avail available after the service. We'll be out there nibbling on some of those snacks that are left over from yesterday. So 
come on by and let us put our arm around you and encourage you. Let me dismiss our time in prayer this morning. Father, thank you for joining with us. Thank you for challenging our hearts. And Lord, as we prepare to go out from this place right now, would you help us to go in the victory that you have bought in our lives to be lights and to this dark and dying world? And Father, go with us now as we go from this place. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We love you. Have a great week.